Hi, welcome to So Yellow, a weekly podcast about our experiences as female Asian Americans. I'm Helen. And I'm Cindy. For today's episode, we'll be discussing intersectionality. Largely what this podcast stemmed from was our identities being not only female, but also Asian Americans. We wanted to talk about some social constructs pertaining to our intersectional frameworks that have kept our society quite rigid for decades now, including double standards, the model minority myth, and more. So to start off, we wanted to define the term intersectionality. The term is used to illustrate the overlap between different kinds of discrimination, whether it's gender, race, age, class, etc. The term intersectionality was first coined by Kimberly Crenshaw about 30 years ago. She's a full-time law professor at UCLA and Columbia University. In 1989, she published a paper about three legal cases that dealt with race and sex discrimination And in the paper, she argues that the law forgets that black women are also black and females, and therefore they are subject to both forms of discrimination. So when it comes to Asian American feminism, I think it's important that we give credit to the black feminist movement for some of their ideas that have helped us understand how our identities can influence how we are perceived and treated by society. So yeah, I think sometimes we're like, we feel guilty for like saying we're oppressed or like bringing up issues that we see because we may not have it as bad as other women of color do. We wanted to talk about the model minority myth. And so basically it's the idea that Asians are perceived to be achieving higher degrees of success than the average population. And so we serve kind of as an outgroup in compared to other minority groups. So we just wanted to talk about how pervasive this is and how its impacts go beyond just impacting Asians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that like historically, the people in power or the dominant group, they've tried to marginalize groups against each other and like make them try to like shift the focus away from them and try to make these groups like kind of compete against each other and think that they're the enemies. And then, like, at the end of the day, like, the dominant group wins because they can stay on top. While meanwhile, these groups at the bottom stay where they are. And, like, an example is, like, Asians and Black people because when Black people try to, like, protest and, like, ask for civil rights and they, like, call out racism, white people are like, oh, but, like, Asians are doing fine. Like, they're so successful, see? And so it creates, like, a rivalry between Asians and Black people. I think you bring up a good point mentioning the political aspect of it, like using this model minority as kind of like a accomplishment in a way. So basically the negative implications of this model minority myth is that it places a stereotype on Asians and so therefore you erase the differences amongst individuals, not even individuals themselves, but even Asians of different ethnic backgrounds because you can't just clump them all together you can't even clump like an ent- one ethnicity together because people are so different so once you do this it hides the pressures and paradoxes that are inherent within the asian american community so i think a negative implication is that 
if you don't fit into this myth or this bubble that people have defined as like good Asian, I guess, or a successful Asian, then it's just hard to find your place at all. Mm-hmm. So has this model minority myth or these stereotypes impacted you? Yeah, so like growing up, my friends in high school, they would always be like, oh, like Asians are, you're so smart, Helen, because you're Asian. And at the time, I didn't think much of it. I was like, I thought it was like a good thing because I was like, oh, like their stereotype is that they're smart, you know? And so I didn't think much of it because I thought they were like two different things. Yeah, I definitely felt its implications when I was in school also. Mm -hmm. I think it's much more prevalent in kindergarten through 12th grade, like before college. Basically, like, there's a higher standard set for Asian students, in my opinion, or this is just what I went through, um, where if you don't reach a certain standard, then you're slipping. But Mm -hmm. that threshold could be, like, what's good for another race of a student. Mm -hmm. And... I think it's just kind of harmful to students because they're held at this higher standard or Asian students. And I've seen this with my peers that are other minority groups that are not Asian. Like we're talking about like a black or brown student. Um, The sad thing is that if they were high achieving and did something well, it was like, oh, something out of the ordinary, you know, like this Mm -hmm. person is unique. But Mm -hmm. then on the flip side for an Asian student if they aren't very high achieving or don't do well it's like oh they're different from the rest of them you know Mm -hmm. so i think that was kind of frustrating even being privileged and being perceived as smart right off the bat i guess Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of harmful and it puts a lot of pressure on you to Mm -hmm. be a certain way and achieve certain things and whether it's conscious or not i think teachers tend to treat the students that do better or they believe are going to achieve more they give more mm-hmm. attention to them and like it's just like this endless cycle of like you know that saying like the rich just get wealthier and the poor get poorer mm-hmm. i think it's kind of along those lines mm-hmm. that reminds me i was talking to my high school teacher about our education system and he said that kids who can see that the system like wasn't made for them like they can see that and like that makes them not want to try. Yeah, I think it gives them like a learned helplessness kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Basically, like nothing I do will help because like the mm-hmm. world is kind of against me. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. Like they feel like they're stuck in a bubble where people of their minority group won't achieve anything, right? Which is mm-hmm. definitely not true. Yeah. I think that the model minority myth works because a lot of Asians who, like, are my parents, like, they believe it, too. I don't know if they, like, necessarily heard of the model minority myth, but I've heard my dad say that Asian students are, like, smarter. And I've also heard my dad say once that he came here with no money, and so why can't Black people, like, get out of poverty in America? Yeah, I think this is another instance of, like, comparing minority group to minority group where it's not necessary. I think you just need to, like, look at yourself and focus on yourself based on your situation, which I think it's great Mm -hmm. that our families were able to, like, come with barely Mm -hmm. anything and, like, create this life for themselves. But not everyone has the exact same resources or opportunities, and I don't think it's completely, like, an issue of determination and hard work. I think there's a lot of other factors, for example, like 
I'm just making this up, but um, like if a black person were to start a business and they had to go and like, you know, get checked or get funding or something, they couldn't get it as easily. You know, mm-hmm. those are things and implications of racism that I think people don't necessarily think about. And mm-hmm. they might not even be aware because it's so like subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes both ways. I've also had conversations online with like black people who who don't like Asians because they're like oh like Asians are afraid their white privilege will be taken away and it's like they don't see that they're being like pitted against each other and like if we work together then we would be stronger and like they don't want that (laughs) yeah it's like they're being brainwashed and another thing when you mentioned Asians kind of like perpetuating this Mm -hmm. I think that we are part of the problem when we perpetuate these stereotypes or even like make jokes about it. I think if we're part of the problem of perpetuating these stereotypes, then they're gonna be even more long-lasting. And so we need to recognize our privilege and how it hurts other minority groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Because if Asians don't speak up about this, then the dominant class, they will be like, okay, like, see, this is true. But if we say something, then, you know, like, people will listen. Yeah, I think being aware of our privilege is, like, the first step. But then also, if you stay complacent, then I think you're also part of the problem. And Mm -hmm. so, as Asians, we should try to do our part in trying to help erase this myth Mm -hmm. and not perpetuate these stereotypes. Yeah. So, another thing I want to talk about is how... Like, when Asians, they've created, like, this Asians versus Black people thing. There's also Asian woman versus white woman. When we've seen cases where white men prefer, like, the passive Asian woman over, like, the empowered, like, career-driven white woman. And also, there's a stereotype that Asian women, they're, like, overly sexualized in America. But then at the same time, they're also, like very like passive and docile and like innocent Mm -hmm. there's like a certain expectation of the way that asian women are or should be i guess i also just want to talk about how like the like modern day stereotypes of asian american woman stems from western imperialism like during the philippine american war like world war ii and vietnam war and like the soldiers they Whenever, like, a base opened up overseas, they found that they could make a lot of money with sex workers. And so, like, this, like, sex industry, they would, like, a lot of it would start opening up when military men moved overseas. And so, then they brought these stereotypes back to America. And then, like, that's where, like, the yellow fever and the male and brides and all these stereotypes come from. Yeah, and then this just perpetuates the commodification and exploitation of their bodies and Mm -hmm. such. Yeah. I also read online that there was like a study and they went on like 30-something porn sites and then like of all the ones in the torture rape category, over half of them had an Asian woman in it. And there's also been studies that show that the higher number of videos and, like, people that watch these videos, like, leads to a higher number of, like, domestic violence against these groups. 
Interesting. When we say we want representation medium, this is not what we meant. Yeah, that's not what we meant. <laughs> so speaking of representation media, I guess we can segue into our next topic. Yeah. So when you think of an Asian actor or actress in a movie or Hollywood in general, what do you think of? I think about like either the nerd or like the Chinese like dragon ladies or mm-hmm. um I don't even know what a dragon yeah. lady is, but I know what you're talking it's, about <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah, and then the guys are like the they're the martial arts masters. Yeah. So I read something online where it said if you're a man, you're a kung fu master. If you're a woman, you're a submissive sex object. If you're gender non-binary or transgender, you don't exist at all. That's so true. Yeah, I think it's very true, but sad that it's true. If you guys know of Mike Bo, he actually came to our university and talked. And Mm -hmm. so I remember him saying that he had the lead role for a show once and it was like this hot guy, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was very like empowering for him because you don't really see that often as like an Asian male as the main lead and portrayed Mm -hmm. as like a hot guy, you know, they're usually like a nerd and like someone who's very not sought after. Yeah, I think people are starting to see that Asian guys are attractive, though. Like, to all the boys I've loved before, that was, like, the first Asian girl I've seen, like, in those coming-to-age shows. Mm -hmm. I think we're taking steps in the right direction, and -hmm. we're seeing progress, but I feel like it's not enough. And also, inherently, it's just, like, sad that when these things happen, it's, like, such a big deal because it's so out of the ordinary. Yeah, we have a long ways to go, but I think we're moving in the right direction. But also, I I think like when Crazy Rich Asians came out, people thought that like the racism against like Asians was over and then COVID-19 hit and then it's like we make one step forwards and then like take three steps back. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a very slow process. Yeah. It's definitely frustrating, but I know for sure the other minority groups experience this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when there weren't all these like Asian movies out yet. Uh, like I watched the videos on YouTube, like in the Asian community a lot, because like even though they couldn't get on the big screen, like yeah, they just found their own way. Yeah, and that was enough for me. <laughs> so next, we wanted to talk about double standards and some of its implications. So I think first and foremost, I feel these double standards in my family. So we both have brothers, or a brother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so do you want to talk about how, like, the treatment is different between you and your brother? So, like, I notice it especially when it comes to dating and how my parents never allowed me to date, but they were fine with my brother dating, and I always thought that was very unfair. Back then, I didn't really understand why, but I think now looking back, I think it's because I like I was just brought up thinking that sons were better, and I didn't even like realize it. Yeah, and you're trying to please them. Yeah, or I think I actually thought that sons were more valuable. Yeah, I'm the same way in terms of like my parents treating me, my brother, in terms of dating. And then mm-hmm. another thing that I noticed is that I was asked to like do the dishes or do laundry, and I have mm-hmm. never ever ever seen. 
um, ask my brother to do those things, like even up until now. And I thought mm-hmm. it was unfair. I think I've never explicitly asked, but I kind of tried to ask in passing. And mm-hmm. the response I got was just, oh, because it's like you're a girl and that's what you're <sighs> like known to do and you're good for. Makes me so angry. Yeah. I had the same thing. <laughs> I remember, like, on the weekends, my brother would just be on the couch watching cartoons, and then I was, like, on my knees scrubbing the floors, and I would just be really sad when that happened. <laughs> I remember wishing for, um, you know, like, in Timmy Turner, and there's, like, the fairy godparents. I was, like, I don't know. I felt like Cinderella, you know, when she's, yeah. like, wiping the floor, and her st- stepsisters are having fun. I was, like, where's my fairy godmother? <laughs> Oh my gosh, you know, like all the renditions of Cinderella, like another Cinderella story, a modern day twist. Yeah. <laughs> Minority version. But yeah, I brought it up to my brother like two weeks ago. I was like, remember when we were little and you never had to do any chores and I had to do everything? And like, he didn't even really notice it. But like, for us, it meant a lot. Yeah, I think I've mentioned it to my brother as well. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like sitting in a high position or a privileged position so you don't want to step down from that right like if Mm -hmm. you never are asked to do chores why would you offer or why would you just want to do chores one day and like be on an even playing field you know Mm -hmm. and so i thought that was kind of frustrating yeah so um i hope he doesn't listen to this (laughs) yeah i think one time my brother had like a stain on a shirt or something wrong with his clothes and then my dad was just like you should go ask your mom like she'll know what to do and yeah all these like household chores they're just like the woman should know how to do it and the men are not expected to do it because they wouldn't know how well you can always learn yeah i wonder if it's because like like do they think guys just are just clueless and can't do it and that girls are just better at doing these things Honestly, I think it could be a small part in that way, but another part could be, like, it's an easy escape for not having to do something. Mm-hmm. I remember I was talking to my high school friends about chores, and she said that her and her brother both do the same chores, and I was just, like, so shook. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, your brother also does chores? Like, your mom makes both of you guys do the same chores? Wow, how progressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow, like equality? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? What is this? <laughs> yeah. I think uh, in terms of parenting, there's a huge double standard between moms and dads. It's kind of sad. I think it's like, it's so easy to seem like a good dad, but then so easy to seem like a bad mom. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like talk about all mothers and fathers because I know mm-hmm. they're not all like this, but mm-hmm. I think there's a general trend where if like a dad does a bare minimum, then it's like, wow, they're such a good dad. But then if a mom slips up on one tiny thing, it's like, well, you're such a bad mom. How could you let that happen? Or mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility is on the mom or there's higher expectations of the mom. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really unfair because, you know, it should be equal. Yeah. I think there's some sort of excuse that if the dad is more absent from the child's life, then the mother should, like, make up for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of general actions or personality of people, I see this double standard a lot. For example, if, like, a guy is seen crying, they can be deemed as kind of weak 
but a girl is just emotional and it's like mm-hmm. okay for them to cry and so i think there's this this stems into like toxic masculinity which we will get into later in another episode mm-hmm. but like guys aren't allowed to cry and things like that and if a guy is angry then it's okay because guys are more aggressive but then a girl might be perceived as like straight up crazy or mm-hmm. if something scary happens and a guy is scared then they're deemed as a coward but a girl is just like timid and it's okay because girls can be that way which i mm-hmm. think is very toxic yeah i grew up hearing a lot from my chinese relatives that boys should not cry and yeah i just heard that all the time growing up yeah I think it's so toxic that men basically like can't show their emotion or shouldn't or they're like a lesser man because of it. Yeah, I think that it's very ingrained in like Asian culture that men should, I guess Western culture too, like men should not show their emotions, like they gotta be the head of the household and like be strong for everyone, you know? And that's just so much like stress and like responsibility on your shoulders and So another thing with double standards is how, like when I was growing up, my grandmother told me that it was very important that I marry a wealthy son and he has to be like the only son so he gets all the inheritance, you know? And (laughs) I was like in middle school and I just thought it was so weird, but you know, she was like super serious about it. And then like a year ago, my mom was telling me how she was gonna like set me up with this rich man from china and like my brother doesn't get any of this they just like expected me to marry like a rich man because i guess they thought that you know women can't make their own money yeah i think our families are ingrained with such traditional views and values that it's hard for them to like break away from that because that's all they know but i think for us we are aware that you don't have to like play by the book like exactly and you'll achieve the same thing you know Mm-hmm. it's just kind of like frustrating being limited in this like tiny bubble and being expected of certain things mm-hmm. especially when our brothers aren't expected of the same things yeah they just think uh, we're less intelligent and less capable because we're girls or women and i told you this before but my uncle said that i was not going to do well in school because i was a girl and i think my grandma was bragging about my grades or something and then he brought that up but his son was failing his high school classes so i just pretended like i didn't hear that (laughs) yeah it's just sad because it's not always a competition like it doesn't have to be made into a competition and i think another thing to mention is that there's this double-edged sword for women when they become mothers that if you are pursuing your career and like you know trying to provide for your family you're kind of neglecting your family because you're putting more time into your career than raising your kids but then if you're not educated or like you're just like a stay-at-home mom then it's like why aren't you like providing more for your kids and so Mm -hmm. like basically you can never win Mm -hmm. people will always have their opinions and it's usually like a negative view Mm -hmm. and then meanwhile if like a male wants to be a stay-at-home dad and he's taking care of the kid people think that's so cute and (laughs) yeah or like heroic kind of yeah (sighs) big sigh yeah so cindy what do you think defines a good feminist i think this is someone that is able to recognize the differences between male and females and recognize their privilege whether they're a male or female 
and realize that this fight is not about gender supremacy and not having females or women be better than men. We just want equality <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's something we don't have. And I think it's a very common misconception that women are in this fight, or people in general, that they want women to be higher up than men, better than men. We just want to beat men somehow. And that is definitely not the case. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think also people are afraid to be defined as a feminist because they don't really know what it entails, which to be honest, I really didn't either. And so I was afraid to talk about issues like this or call myself a feminist because, you know, I don't read up on these things all the time or I don't attend protests. So I was like, oh, well, I'd rather not be a feminist at all than be a bad feminist. But mm -hmm. I think like there's no like threshold you have to meet to be a feminist and so mm -hmm. there's this one video i watched where they interviewed a bunch of men on the street and asked them if they support women's rights and every single one of them said yes but then when they followed up with the question would you consider yourself a feminist a large majority of them said no and when they asked why they said well i don't want to like be perceived a certain way and so basically it like hurts their masculinity if they support women's rights which i think mm -hmm. can only like help you in my mm -hmm. opinion yeah and there's a large misconception that men can't be feminists which mm -hmm. a large part of this fight is we need men on our side to help us because yeah. that's like they're 50 percent of the population you know yeah we can't like have equality if men don't agree with us or aren't on our side yeah like the more like privileged side also needs to see that and speak up about it yeah i think gender stereotypes is a large and very toxic thing because like we mentioned with toxic masculinity you can't lump all men together and so you also can't lump all women together and so mm -hmm. there's like a large intersectionality amongst just females and so something that a black female goes through and experiences is not going to be completely the same as like a latin american female or an asian female and so forth we need to recognize like the difficulties that women experience and the reason why they're fighting for equality in the first place and so some examples are they don't have the same educational and professional opportunities that men have like for example have you heard of the glass ceiling analogy no can you explain <laughs> okay so basically there's kind of this invisible 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 barrier <laughs> for women in kind of reaching top leadership positions and i think it's just very interesting and very sad but how prevalent this is and how we should be aware of this and there's another analogy called the glass elevator phenomenon or something like that basically it's like you know that glass elevator in willy wonka and chocolate factory where it just like shoots up in the sky <laughs> I didn't watch that movie. <laughs> well, if you've watched that, basically, I, I think of it like that, where men can easily rise up to a leadership position when they're, like, in an industry that's predominantly female, for example, like, mm -hmm. nursing or something like that. I just think that there is a problem if this problem is so widespread that we have a term for it. Yeah. And there's another thing called the bamboo ceiling. It's very similar to the glass ceiling. Um, basically, mm -hmm. there's like a certain limitation or like obstacle for Asian workers achieving higher levels of success or leadership positions in general. Mm -hmm. 
Why do you think there's the bamboo ceiling exists? I'm not completely sure, but it could be the fact that people see Asians as hard workers and so they're more or they don't have that hard of a time getting hired for jobs, but then I think that there's not this perception that they are authoritative. You know, mm-hmm. they should be submissive or quiet, and so they wouldn't mm-hmm. be good leaders. And so I think that's where it kind of stems from. Yeah, I can see that. And we're also brought up to believe that we shouldn't question authority and that yeah. we need to listen to our parents and elders. Yes. So there's this podcast, I'm sure that you guys have heard of it, called ABG or Asian Boss Girl. And so on one episode, I think Helen mentioned that she wanted a promotion in her job but then she couldn't get one or she didn't get one last year because someone higher up than her was preventing her like specifically preventing her from getting this promotion or just like didn't want her to Mm -hmm. move up in the ranks kind of Mm -hmm. and sadly i don't think that's very uncommon Mm -hmm. i think this is very prevalent but it's also kind of hard because it's not explicit, you know? No one's saying this, or a lot of people yeah. wouldn't say this, and so how do you know it's happening, yeah. you know? And then how can you stop it or confront it if it's not being said? Mm-hmm. And at that point, like, you're just kind of accusing people when, mm-hmm. even if you know this is, like, the underlying reason or problem. Uh, that reminds me of how if your name sounds black on a resume, you have a less likely chance of getting selected but like no company's gonna like come out and say that they're doing that and so yeah exactly yeah. i know of this one person who they are a doctor now but their last name sounded hispanic mm-hmm. i think they're full asian but i'm not completely sure and they changed their last name to sound more asian because he thought that if people saw a hispanic name for a doctor they would be less likely to go to him and more likely to go to someone who's asian Dang, that's really sad. Yeah, you can't even, like, have your own name to, like, be Mm -hmm. successful if it, like, hinders you somehow. Yeah, like, you have to really think about what to name your child and how it'll, it could hurt their career because of the race that's associated with it. Yeah, it's basically, like, catering to the racism and stereotypes. Mm -hmm. It's, like, forcing you to assimilate and... Mm, Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of So Yellow. We hope you were able to not only gain some insight into how our intersectionalities have shaped many of our experiences, but also help you reflect on yours. We hope that our listeners can be open-minded and be cognizant of the discrimination as well as privileges that people are inherently born with based on the social identity bubble in which they fall in. If we all do our part in working together and helping lift each other up, we can make the world a better and more welcoming place one step at a time. If you enjoyed what you heard, we'd love if you subscribe to the podcast to be notified of our future episodes. Until next time. Bye. Bye.